You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. All right. Well, well thank you, Barry. Thank you guys for, uh, for, for having me. Um, it, it truly is a, a privilege to be able to, to be here. I said this in the first service, and I, I meant it, so I'm going to say it again. Um, that our time at Redeemer, you know, looking back on it, doesn't seem all that long. We were just here for about a, a year and a half. Um, and yet I, I told both Pastor Jeff and Pastor Barry that um, coming back here feels like coming home. So I'm, I am truly thankful to be here, um, privileged to be able to, to share the Word of God with you this morning. Um, and speaking of the Word, that's what we're here to do. We're here to look at what God has to say to us. And, and this morning we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 5. And so if you are able, if you would please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the honor and the privilege that it is for us to gather together with one another, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and to to lift up our voices together, praising you and worshiping you, that we can pray together and hear your words together and submit to what you have revealed to us. And so I pray that that is what would be true this morning. I pray that we would hear what you have to say to us and it would change us. That we wouldn't leave here the same. I pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and that you would bless our time together this morning. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I find it pretty amazing the, the impact that hope can have on people. It's truly a, a wonderful motivator in our lives. And in fact, I think it's fair to say that it's usually the hope of something to come that compels us to live a certain way now. If you were to visit my home around dinner time, you'd see this on a pretty regular basis. You see, for my kids, when the hope of dessert is introduced, food that was previously unedible is finished off pretty quickly, right? The hope of something future motivates them. We all know this, but perhaps the the best illustration of this I think I've ever seen came from a a book that I was reading a couple of years ago called In the Kingdom of Ice. It's the, the true story of what happened to the crew of the USS Jeanette during a a 19th century Arctic voyage attempting to reach the North Pole. You see, no one had yet. They were trying to be the first, and all the developed nations of the world at the time were racing to get there. 
right? They thought there'd be some sort of tropical paradise or something. Well, this is America's first attempt, and sorry for the spoilers, but it doesn't go very well. You see, on their way up, after they've passed through Alaska and Russia, the water becomes so cold, so fast, that their ship becomes lodged in the ocean. The water is turned to ice around them. It's freezing so fast, in fact, that it begins to crush the whole of the ship, and they all have to get off. The crew has to abandon ship in the middle of the frozen ocean. And there they are standing on ice in the Arctic Ocean. And they know that their only chance of survival at this point is to walk, walk across the ocean to the nearest land, which unfortunately for them was Siberia, so also frozen. And we read about for days and weeks, they, they walked and they walked and they hunted and they fished and they found food where they could and they, they, they sought to keep warm in any way that they could, but it was just too cold and so many of them kept dying. They died where they slept, they died where they walked, we tell of stories of their feet frostbitten and rotting while they walked. And at multiple times when I'm reading this story, I'm thinking, you know, enough is enough. How, how do you keep going in the midst of that? And they face all of that, and yet the survivors kept going. How? Well, it was hope. It was hope that kept them going. You see, on their way up, they had heard of some small villages that they, they just had a chance of reaching. There, there was a chance they could get there, and if they would make it, they might survive. So it was hope that kept them going. The chance of survival kept them going. And I feel like we can all, to some degree, relate to this, though it's probably a little less dramatic than walking across the Arctic Ocean. We can all relate to what it's like to have that chance, that hope, be what keeps us going. But what do you think happens when we realize that as Christians, as those in Christ, that we actually have something even more sure, even more certain than just a chance of survival? You see, the way we usually use the word hope suggests uncertainty, chance, right? Well, we, we hope things will turn out a certain way. And by that, we mean we, we want something to happen, but we have no real way of knowing if that's what's actually going to happen. And so we use the word hope to mean something more like, like wishful thinking. Hope it works out. The scripture gives us something different. You see, when we use the word hope in a biblical way, in the way that Peter does in our passage this morning, we find that it actually means the exact opposite of that. Biblical hope is certain. It's a sure thing. It's, it's more akin to, a, to an unwavering confidence. That's biblical hope. And the reason that it's certain, the reason that it's a confidence we can have is because it isn't hope in ourselves. It isn't a chance that, that things might turn out okay. 
No, it is a hope in what God has done, is doing, and has promised that he will continue to do. So biblical hope isn't rooted in chance, but in the sure character and promises of God. That's why, if I can step back just for a a second here, that's why Peter's writing this letter in the first place. You see, he's, he's writing to Christians who are suffering who are enduring trials and persecutions and difficulty. And in fact, in verse 1, he refers to them as exiles. That's intentional. He's saying that that you're like exiles here. You're, You're living in a world that at least as it exists now is not your true home. You're exiles in this world because in Christ you are ultimately citizens of a different kingdom. And we feel the tension of that, don't we? We often feel the tension of of living like exiles in this world and it often looks like suffering. But Peter wants them and us to persevere. He, He wants us to know how to keep going in the midst of our suffering. He wants to strengthen us to faithfully live for Christ now. He wants the hope of our salvation to be what gets us through. And listen, I I think it's likely that that's where many, at least some of you are this morning. You're suffering. You get to know people and you realize we all face suffering at different times in our lives. Maybe it's persecution like the Christians that Peter's writing to. It doesn't exist here quite like it does in other places around the world, but we still face it. We still feel the tension of trying to follow Christ in a world that looks on us as though we are outsiders. Maybe it's not that. Maybe maybe you just simply feel the weight of our human frailty. The difficulty of having to endure pain in this life. In some ways, I think that's all of us. We all face suffering on some level difficulties and trials and in the midst of that we often ask how do I keep going how do I how do I keep trusting Christ in this brothers and sisters that is what Peter taps into deeply in this passage he wants you to know the hope that you have and he wants you to know that it will strengthen you in your faith now And each reason he gives here, each kind of foundation for our hope in these couple of verses, what we find is that it is rooted in the very character and work of God. This is a very God-focused passage. In fact, it's a very triune God-focused passage. The whole Trinity's here. I think that will prove to be helpful to us. And he begins there in verse 3. With God the Father. It's the first thing I want you to see this morning. I I want you to see that our hope comes from the mercy of the Father. Our hope comes from the mercy of the Father. Notice how he begins verse 3 there. Blessed be God. Right? Blessing God. Sometimes like, well, what does that mean to bless God? That's, That's just a way of saying praise God. Acknowledge him for the goodness that he is. 
And so he starts talking about our hope by praising God. That sets the tone for the passage. That is where our our gaze is to be focused. It ought to inform everything we're about to see. Which is first that he praises God as Father. Right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of the great mercy of the Father that he has given us new birth so that we might genuinely have a a living hope in this life. It's the result of God's mercy. Now, I just want to point out a couple things to you here. First, what is said to us here about the Father? He's merciful. He's a merciful Father. Now, now mercy, just to help clarify, mercy is God withholding from us what we deserve. If we're honest with ourselves and we're not putting on a show, we know what we deserve. We are sinners and we deserve, rightfully, the judgment of God as a result. That's what we deserve. But in Christ, we get mercy. He withholds his judgment from us. I think maybe this is helpful. You can look at mercy as kind of like the flip side to grace. So if grace is our receiving what we don't deserve, mercy is God's withholding what we do deserve. So this is good news for us. And we see that it is in and through and because of his mercy that the Father has given us new birth. Right there in the middle of verse 3. In His mercy, He's given us new birth. And He has to give it because we can't earn it. We're helpless to get it ourselves. Right? The new birth, being born again, is, is really just another way of talking about being saved. It's what it means to be made new, to, to be given eternal life, to become a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. That's, that's the new birth. Without it, there is no salvation. Without it, there is no entrance into the kingdom of God. And here, the new birth is a work of God's mercy for us. He gives it. We can't do it ourselves. Just as we can't bring ourselves to life physically, we cannot bring ourselves to life spiritually. Only God can. So right here at the outset, Peter says, your hope for this life, it's not in what you can do. It is in what God in his mercy has already done for you. In what the Father has done for you. And and that's an important emphasis. Sometimes we can just kind of roll right past that. We get it. He's the Father. But it comes from the mercy of the Father. And the reason I think this is important is because sometimes we view Jesus as the loving member of the Trinity and the Father's the angry one, right? And so we need the loving Jesus to come and appease that angry Father. That is not what we see here. Our salvation begins with God the Father. He is love. He is the source of our mercy. The Father is the the fount from which all goodness flows, and that includes Jesus Christ coming to save sinners. That's where Peter focuses our attention, the Father and his role in our salvation. 
And the result of this mercy, the result of this mercy that the Father gives us, his saving us, is still in the middle of verse 3. We'll move on at some point, I promise. But the mercy that the Father gives us, the result is that we have been given a new birth into a living hope. That's the result of what God the Father is doing in our lives. We have been given a living hope. We now live daily with a living hope. You see that? That's because God the Father has poured out his mercy on us. That's why he praises God. It's from him. That's, that's biblical hope. There is no uncertainty there. Our hope isn't in how good we can try to be. And it, it isn't in a God who says, well, let me see how well you do, and then I'll decide what I'm going to do with you. No. It's in God's merciful gift of new life. It's in the God who pours out mercy. The, the author of Lamentations says it like this. His mercy never ends and is new every morning. Or, and I can't help not quote this, as Sally Lloyd-Jones says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's worth quoting, speaking of God's mercy, that it is a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Do you see how that kind of mercy from God, given freely by our Father, the Father who upholds the universe, by the way, do you see how that kind of mercy can, can give you hope? Some certainty about your future? You aren't left wondering. You know, I think about that and I think, what, what can the world throw my way? Like, what do you got? What do you have that tops unending mercy from the Father of the universe? Nothing. Remember, Peter, Peter's writing this to suffering Christians. And he's saying, in your suffering, in the, the midst of your trials and your difficulties, remember, remember the Father has given you the hope of salvation. And that means nothing can take it away from you. What's left to fear? What's left to fear when you belong to your heavenly Father by mercy? And it's a hope that's not only rooted what, what God has done in the past, but it's what he's doing in the future, too. What he's doing in the future that enables us to live our lives now. You see, it's a, a living hope. It's an active hope. It sustains us in the midst of whatever it is we're going through. Because it is hope in the loving Father's unending mercy. And, 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 you know, just to make sure, I think Peter here, just to make sure we don't miss this. He wants to get this idea firmly planted into our minds. And so he, he says something else pretty remarkable here. Our hope is an act of God's mercy, and it is mercy through the work of Jesus. 
It's mercy through Jesus. That's the second thing I want you to see. Our, our hope lives in the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope lives in the resurrection of Jesus. He says he, we are born again to a living hope through, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the means by which God pours out his mercy on us. So God the Father, God the Son, both at work in our redemption. Our hope is living because the one in whom our hope rests is living. It's in Jesus, right? Resurrected from the dead, victorious over sin and death. Our hope is tied, Peter says, to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not what we can do for ourselves. This is why Paul says that without Christ, we are without the hope of God in this world. True hope is found only in belonging to Jesus. In belonging to the resurrected and living Son of God. Because it means you've been united to the one who has conquered death. That means that you too then in him you too will conquer death. It has lost its sting for us. Because if we belong to the living Jesus, we have the hope of sharing in his eternal life. That's exactly what Peter means when he, when he goes on there in verse 4 to talk about our inheritance. He's saying Jesus was raised, and so in him, by faith, you will be raised too. And not only will you be raised, but you will receive a future inheritance. How often do you think about that? In the resurrection of Jesus, I have an inheritance awaiting me. But that's what we're raised to. What, what exactly is that, though? What, what does it mean, Inheritance. Like, like at a will? What? Well, this word is rich with, with Old Testament meaning. I, I just want to summarize a little bit of it for you. You can see this in the, the first few books of the Bible a lot, but especially in Joshua when, when the people finally enter into the land that God promised them. You see, they spoke often of their inheritance, and what they meant by that was the, the home the place, the home that God would give them, the, the provision that he would give them, the protection that he would give them, where they would forever be his people and he would forever be their God. That was their inheritance. But if you know your Old Testament, you know that didn't happen. That didn't work out very well, did it? You see, it was an inheritance that due to their sinfulness, they failed to receive. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we were judged solely on our own efforts, we would fail to receive it as well. And that's why, that's why Jesus had to come. He came to do what Israel failed to do. He came to do what you and I every day fail to do. In his perfect life and in his sacrificial death, he himself received the inheritance. It's fulfilled in him. He is the only one worthy to receive it. 
that eternity in the presence of God. It's, that inheritance, that is God's declaration, well done. And it only comes through Christ. In fact, it's actually his inheritance. It's not ours. He's the only one who has deserved it. No one else has. But the gospel says that when you have trusted in Christ by faith, when you have come to him for forgiveness, believed that he will save you, that you then partake of that inheritance with him. You see, it's not originally your inheritance, but by faith in Christ, you get it anyway. That's grace. That's mercy. That, that gives us hope. We get eternal life that says when Jesus returns, we, we will be with him forever. When Jesus returns, because we belong to him, our salvation will prove to be complete. It is secure. At the end of verse 5, it's the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In fact, that's exactly how Peter goes on to describe our inheritance in Christ. Look at what he says there in verse 4. Right, we've been given a living hope, saved into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, we have a living hope in the truth of our salvation, in our union with Jesus in his resurrection, because it is imperishable. That means nothing can destroy it. Nothing can destroy the relationship that we have with Christ. Nothing can destroy the hope that we have in him. It's undefiled, it's perfect, it's unfading, right? It doesn't fade out over time. It's the same today as it was yesterday and as it will be tomorrow. You know, like when, what happens when you leave something outside in the sun for too long and it gets faded and yellow and starts to disintegrate and break apart, I remember a time I left a book on my dashboard and it was all faded yellow and I picked it up and the glue had all melted off. It just broke apart. Not going to happen with your salvation. Not going to happen. It doesn't fade. It doesn't weaken. It doesn't break. Because it is kept in heaven for you. What a, what a statement that is. Your hope, your salvation is kept in heaven for you. God himself watches over our inheritance. You can't be lost. That means you won't be written out of the will. Jesus has secured it and he keeps it secure. Because he has been raised from the dead. To prepare a place for us. And our hope, hope even for today, through faith in Christ, is that we will one day be with him. Nothing can change that. That's what enables us to face and endure whatever it is that we come across in this life. I love the way the, the author of the book of Hebrews says it. I want you to, to see this passage. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. 
He says, we have this hope. Again, same theme here. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It's an anchor. It, that is our hope, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. It's saying that our hope enters into the presence of God. That's where our hope goes. Why? Verse 20, because Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. Our hope in the presence of God is what Jesus has done for us. He's gone as our forerunner through his resurrection to prepare and to keep our inheritance. That just means where he goes, we go. And that hope, the author of Hebrews says, is an anchor for your soul. I think it's helpful imagery, right? When the, when the waves and the wind are, are threatening to overwhelm you. Your soul, even today in the midst of all that, is anchored in your hope in the salvation that Jesus has accomplished for you. That's the only thing that will get you through. The knowledge that we will one day be raised with Christ to glory. It's an anchor in our life right now. And it means that in all the suffering we endure, we can persevere. We can. You cannot slip from the hand of God. It means in Christ, you are forever in Christ. It is imperishable. And it's because he lived the life you couldn't. And he died the death you deserved so that what he deserves, you receive. His inheritance is your inheritance. As Jesus lives, so our hope lives. It is a living hope. And it means no matter what it is we come up to in this life, no matter what we face, God will give us the strength to go through it. And I think this is worth clarifying here. Because this is not a promise that this will be easy. It's not a promise that there won't be suffering in this life. We've got to be very clear on that. Peter suffered. He's writing to Christians who suffer. We know what it is like to suffer. This is not a promise that we will not endure difficulty in this life. But it is a promise that in the midst of that difficulty, we can have real hope. the promise of our salvation and an unfading place in the presence of God. You see, the hope of our future inheritance, it actually changes the way we live our life right now. It means we're free, right? We're, we're free from, the, from the, the, the debilitating burdens. We can now truly live our life for the glory of God. We can endure whatever it is that comes our way. We can be bold in our witness. We can faithfully raise our families. We can do these things because we know that no matter how any of it ends, we have a salvation that is secure in Christ. We have a future inheritance waiting for us. So Peter says here that our hope is grounded in the mercy of the Father. 
And it lives in the resurrection of the Jesus. And as I said, it's no surprise, but the work of the Spirit is seen here as well. The whole triune God is at work to give us the hope of eternal life. That's what the Trinity is concerned with. Giving you hope in his being and character and work. Now, where do we get this? Where do we get this idea that the Spirit is involved? Well, I think this is what we find in verse 5. And so this brings us to the the last thing I want to point out to you this morning. The third point, our, our hope is guarded by the power of the Spirit. Our hope is guarded by the power of the Spirit. Let me explain what I mean by this. You see there in verse 5 that Peter says, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You're being guarded for your future inheritance by the power of God. Not your power. I am so thankful this verse is in the Bible. Because you get to this point, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, God, in the past, God has achieved my salvation. That's awesome. He's promised me that in the future, he's going to keep and and protect my inheritance. But but what about me right now? Like, what do I do right now? How, How do I make sure I don't mess this thing up? Well, God says here that just as he keeps your inheritance in heaven, he keeps you for heaven. He won't let you fall away. I think this is captured really well in the the song Inheritance by the the Grey Havens, if you're familiar with them. I'm going to tell you how it opens. I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to sing it. So there's a ship that bears the name Inheritance. It's pulled by golden chains from where it ends. No sail, no need for oar with calm assurance carries on. And those aboard the ship were once among the ones that scoffed at it, but not a single one was lost to it, the sealed of the inheritance. I love that imagery. The ship called inheritance with its sealed passengers being being pulled by golden chains to its final destination. I think it illustrates well what Peter's saying here. Our inheritance is not only secure, it's not only a a sure thing, but so is our journey there. It's as though God is pulling us along. We are being guarded by his power through faith. This means you're not doing this in your own strength. It's the power of God that secures you. The power of God that gets you from the new birth to your inheritance. And I think this is precisely where the Spirit of God comes in. Though he's not mentioned explicitly there in verse 5, I think that we are right to conclude that it is the Spirit of God that is in view here. I say this for a couple of reasons. First, though we didn't look at it this morning since we jumped into verse 3, if you do look briefly back at verse 2... Peter says that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all at work in our salvation. The Father foreknew us, the Son shed His blood for us, and the Spirit sanctifies us. 
And he seems to be elaborating on that idea here in verses 3 through 5. The Father chose us, the Son died for us, and then the power of God guards us and keeps us. Which is another way of saying sanctifies us. I believe that power of God there is a reference to the Holy Spirit. He's often referred to that way. You can look at Luke chapter 24 verse 49 which says, And behold... I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, the Spirit in that context, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, power to live the Christian life. Or Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power to do what? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria And to the ends of the earth, you will receive power through the Spirit to live faithfully for me, no matter what it is you face in this world. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. And it's power not only for your salvation, but for perseverance. It's the Spirit at work within us that gives us the strength to keep going. It's the Spirit that guards us until the end. I want to show you one more passage. Ephesians 1, chapters 13 through 14. Paul, speaking of the Spirit and his role in our inheritance, says, says this. He says, In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the gospel and believed, the Spirit sealed you. Verse 14 The Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of His glory. The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we grab it. He gets us there. That's exactly what Peter is saying here in verse 5. We are guarded by the power of God until the end so that we may lay hold of our inheritance in Christ. The Spirit does this in us. That should give us hope. That's where our hope is found. Not in anything we can do, but in what the Spirit, what God is doing for us and in us. God not only initiated our salvation and brought it to completion, but He guards it in us along the way. And he does this through faith. I think it's just helpful to to point something out here. Because sometimes we don't always fully know how to think about faith. But I want to be clear. Faith is not a piece of the salvation puzzle that we bring to the table. God, you do your part, I'll do my part. Now, we must have faith. We must trust in the finished work of Christ in order to be saved. Faith is essential for salvation. There's no salvation without it. But faith isn't something we are adding to the equation. Faith is is more like this. I think this is a helpful way to think of it. It is the the, the empty-handed, palms-up, outstretched arms receiving. It is receiving what God has already done. That's faith. He accomplishes our salvation from beginning to end. And by faith, we simply receive it. And through that faith then, the Spirit strengthens us and strengthens our faith so that we can continue to trust in Him through this life. 
through his empowering presence, we can have hope even in the midst of suffering. Well, maybe it's no surprise by this point, but I, I find this passage to be one of the most hopeful in the New Testament. Peter suffered in his life. He wrote to Christians who suffered. We can relate to that. And in the midst of that suffering, he wants to give us hope. He wants to give us the hope that will enable us to walk through this life faithfully. Something that will enable us to persevere to the end. And his message isn't about how hard you need to try. It isn't about how perfect you need to be. From beginning to end there, it's about what God has done for you. That's the hope that Peter gives us in this passage. He tells us that the hope to keep going in the Christian life comes from God. Father, Son, and Spirit all working in harmony to save us and to keep us. And so if you find yourself asking, how do I keep going? How, how do I keep trusting God? Right? It's, it's just so hard. The answer won't come from anything you can do. It's only found, Peter says, in looking to what God has done for you. Brothers and sisters, I think like Peter here, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of life's trials, let's not rely on how resourceful we can be, on how clever we can be. We're prone to do that. We have enough things to kind of get through on a daily basis, and we think that's enough. It's not. No, let's do what Peter's calling us to do here. Let's, let's turn to the only true source of hope that we have. A hope that is alive and will enable us to walk faithfully with Christ. It's the hope here of our salvation inheritance. Rooted in the mercy of the Father towards us. And the resurrection of the Son for us. And the protection of the Spirit at work right now within us. That's our hope. Let's look to God for that. You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.